The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hi, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, welcome, and thank you for joining our eighth episode. I am confident that you will learn a lot uh, from listening to today's guest, because There's More is a public information channel for Trusted Advisory Board, or TAP for short, the organization I founded in 2013 as a virtual advisory board focused on helping businesses grow through um, their executives making better business decisions. How does TAP do that? Well, there's many intricacies around the how, but ultimately it is the what, or in other words, the amazing expertise and experience that our advisors bring to the table that represents the essence of this organization. And they bring everything they have learned and uh, experienced so you and our clients can tap into this resource on demand and make better business decisions. So today, as in previous episodes, you will hear from another TAB uh, advisor. Today's guest was initially trained in the sciences, nuclear physics to be precise, but has enjoyed a career that took him well beyond science and engineering into all areas of business and executive uh, management. Uh, But before I tell you more about today's guest, let me thank the other TAB advisors who have shared their wisdom with us so far. Thank you, Anna-Marie Lier, last week's guest, uh, who works as a consultant for the Romanian government. Anna, uh, if you have listened to the show, is a highly talented, smart, uh, beautiful young lady whose fresh thinking on business is something that TAB uh, leverages fully. Thank you also to Rochelle Oakley, the president and CEO of Jabaka Distribution um, Inc., a company, a Canadian company that Rochelle founded uh, in 2012. Um, and thank you to Anne Comer, principal at Comer Exchange, also a Canadian organization that focuses on helping leaders focus their energy onto the things that matter the most, energy that is mental uh, or emotional and even physical energy. And thank you, Mathav Munusami, a seasoned professional with deep expertise in mean methodologies application, who immigrated to Canada a few years back and brings that 
different uh, international perspective uh, to TAB. Make sure to go back to those episodes because they have great content. And I know that uh, by listening again to them time after time, you will be inspired to make better business decisions. I know I have and I will continue to listen to them. So let me talk to you about today's guest. It is a privilege to introduce him to the show today. Um, His name is Randy Levitt. And Randy enjoyed a career of over 30 years with Ontario Power Generation in their nuclear power program. During that period, Randy held many positions, uh, which we will hear more about in a few minutes. But he's now, um, after retiring, um, on long-term assignment with Black and McDonald Power Generation Region, working out of Pickering in Toronto. And I slowed down when I said retirement, because um, Randy is probably working just as much today as he did when he was fully employed. Randy is a seasoned, action-oriented leader with very deep expertise in the nuclear energy industry. Um, He's equipped with a strong ability to articulate solutions rooting in strong conceptual and uh, analytical thinking. And throughout his 30 years um, career at uh, OPG, Ontario Power Generation, Randy has been brought into many businesses to revive and rejuvenate them uh, because those business segments were constrained by serious uh, limitations. Um, Randy has left a very strong uh, legacy at OPG, um, who is alive today because of the mentorship he provided to his team, whose members are all today part of the senior decision-making in their businesses. In 2012, Randy founded Deliberate Action Limited, um, his own organization, to help businesses find actionable solutions to complex issues and Uh, achievable, identify uh, goals. Um, Today, as I said earlier, he's on long-term assignment with Black and McDonald Power Generation, working out of Pickering in in Toronto. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. And indeed, a a pleasure to be involved with an organization like Trusted Advisory Board. That's great. Tell me more. Can you elaborate? Uh, you, you say that it is a pleasure. How would you describe TAB in your own words? Well, I, I view TAB as a, as a group of industry experts across a, a large number of, of disciplines that has the time and, 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 and willingness to assist clients who are in the need of, of expert advice in, in one field or another. Um, because of the diversity of the group of advisors, help can be provided across a, a broad range of of business issues. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, uh, you and I are working with uh, with one client at the moment. It's quite interesting how. Um, Although align how different perspectives we bring in in uh, uh, dealing with the client, and it is a client who actually uh, gets a benefit from those different perspectives. What made you accept my invitation to be an advisor, Andy? Uh, to me, Tab uh, Tab helps businesses by having uh, a large expert group on standby ready to assist uh, in, in whatever problems or opportunities or, or challenges uh, present themselves. They, uh, it's attractive that, they, that the response time of the group is almost immediate. There's, there's no need to catch a plane or a, or a train or, or drive to get there when a, when a teleconference will do. Yeah. And they, 
the opportunity to help out fellow businessmen and, and women with real issues in real time excites me. Yeah, and, and I know I remember the day when you and I met in um, uh, for lunch or breakfast in, in a restaurant downtown Toronto, and I was telling you about the organizations I founded and that I would like you to be one of the advisors. And um, I remember your face lightening up for uh, because of the um, uh, opportunity to solve more problems, uh, especially from from um, industries or companies that you didn't know much uh, before. So you know the the same uh, thirst and hunger for learning that uh, I you had from the very beginning when I met you came up. Um, when I asked you to join the, um, uh, the advisory board. And thank you very much for doing so, because it's proving hugely beneficial to our clients. So you and I met when you were the vice president on nuclear finance at Ontario uh, Power Generation, and you were involved in organization restructuring of the, of the business. But before that, you worked in many, many different roles in OPG, formerly Ontario Hydro. Can you tell us a bit more about the different roles you had and how your academic training set a foundation for your career? Uh, certainly, Laura. Um, my, my early education uh, a million years ago was, was in mathematics and physics, as you've mentioned, and I have a postgraduate degree in nuclear physics. I, I, I later went on to, to get a, an MBA, but, uh, but it was my, my studies in the sciences that had allowed me to get a start in in the nuclear industry. And my first job was was in instructing senior operators and, and shift managers in, in nuclear physics and reactor operation and emergency response in preparation for government regulated licensing examinations that they, they had to write. Um, from there I, I moved on to the engineering organization where I was responsible for performance monitoring and and modification of, of, of station nuclear systems. And after a few years in that role, I was asked to, to start a new department that, that focused on evaluating minor events within the station and developing techniques to, to improve human performance and, and reduce the frequency of, of events. I was eventually licensed as a shift manager myself, a, a senior licensed position for the station, and from there went on to do outage management and project management for the, the Pickering Nuclear Station. And my last role was in the finance area where I, I started in business planning and progressed to the vice president role in, in nuclear finance. That's great. It's fascinating. I mean, I, I've always been fascinated by your choice in, in uh, studying nuclear physics. And, and um, I'm just realizing, as you're saying, I've never really asked you. So maybe later in the show, we may have to, time for me to uh, come back and ask what made you choose nuclear physics in the first place. But you, you've um, quoted quite a range of roles. Why did you move around so often? Well, one of the benefits of working for a for a larger company like Ontario Power Generation is that it it does provide opportunity to to compete for for selection to new roles and and move around a bit while while still in the in the the same general area, which in my case was the was the nuclear business. But uh, but changing roles every so often is, is sort of fun, and it, it helps defeat the, any complacency that might, might creep into doing a, a similar role for, for many years, and it also allowed me to, 
to use what I had learned in previous jobs for the benefit of the of the current position. Uh, in some cases, I I deliberately sought out roles for for in areas of the business that I knew were in a little bit of a bit of trouble or or not necessarily run optimally and and it was it was a challenge and, and and a lot of fun to make significant improvements in in how business processes were set up or or how how the organization was structured to 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 benefit the overall nuclear business yeah that that's amazing and it's just uh, it reminds me of the fact that how um how our thinking or how the management thinking has evolved over years as well i don't know if you uh recall but uh let's say uh, about 10 years ago or or even uh before that it was almost uh to many uh people on the job market it was always uh, almost a detriment to be moving from one job to another because uh employers were looking for consistency and uh, uh you know loyalty to the organization whereas today the fact that people uh, are doing um exactly what you're doing mind you you were doing inside the same organization and you had the opportunity to do uh, to do so that but today it's such a um it's such a valuable asset the fact that people have uh, um different experiences uh, one of the advisors on our show that we'll have uh, in, in a few weeks from now, um, again, like you, he has run different parts of the uh, business in order to prepare himself for a, a general management role. So that's very, very interesting. Um, so you move from nuclear physics to, to finance. That's quite a shift in focus. Um, and you it sounds like you never really practiced nuclear physics. Did you use much of your nuclear physics knowledge? <laughs> well, I uh I I I've been asked that a lot. What what's a what's a nuclear physicist doing in finance? And uh I used to comment that it's all numbers, but uh but the complete answer is more detailed than that. It it is it is true that after my my first couple of roles in, in training and engineering I I moved away from the, the science end of the business and and more into management and leadership. So, so you're correct. I, ha- I haven't really directly applied the physics I learned very very much in my career. I, I think the fundamentals of my my education helped drive a more analytical approach to decision making that that influenced my my entire career. Yeah, that's um, uh, that's interesting because it's something that we a tab, uh, you know, a process in decision making. It's quite uh, important to elevate the quality of the decision. Um, can you elaborate a little on that? Your analytical approach to decision making that you uh, you mentioned. Uh, sure, you you you've referenced uh, different authors and, and industry experts uh, several times on your show who who differentiate between the intuitive or subjective decision-making and the analytical decision-making. Daniel Kahneman, in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, summarizes years of research in this area, and he also points out the traps that we can fall into if we're we're making decisions too quickly on instinct or or on on a gut feel without taking the time to analyze our options. You know, one of the uh, one of the simple examples Kahneman uses is the old puzzle where we're we're told 
a bat and a ball together cost $11. And we're asked if the bat costs $10 more than the ball, how much is the ball? Now, intuitively, most people say a dollar. That's, that's wrong, of course, but to get it right, we need to be more analytical in our, in our thinking. You know, in grade school, we're, we're taught to analyze a problem like this algebraically by letting X be the price of the ball, deducing that the price of the bat is 10 plus X, and then solving for X. You can do it in your head, but it takes longer, uses a lot more effort than the intuitive approach. So we, we tend not to, not to go to analytics, but it's the only way to get to the, to the right answer of, of 50 cents. Sure. The benefits of using analytical thinking to, to get it right are, are being more and more understood today. Richard Thaler and, and Cass Sunstein also emphasize this in their book, Nudge where they, they provide numerous examples of where our, our thinking and our decision-making can be influenced by small factors or nudges that play on our, our intuitive thinking. So, so back to your question, training in the sciences, and, and in, in particular a field like nuclear physics, tends to eliminate that intuition or instinct from the equation. Uh, nothing feels natural when you're talking about the structure of the atom or the nuclear interactions in a reactor. No one has any natural intuition about the quantum mechanics that explains it all at a, at a subatomic level. So scientists tend to be trained at, uh, at an early stage of necessity to go, to go right to uh, a more complex analysis to get, get to the answers. And, and I think that sticks with you, even after you leave the sciences. Your instinct becomes the use of an analytical approach, if, if that makes sense. It makes absolute sense, and it's so fascinating listening to you. I nearly forgot that we only have one minute to the break. That was uh, amazing, and we'll come back uh, uh, to that uh, after the break. Uh, but for now, we will uh, probably go to a commercial break that's uh, going to be about two minutes. And uh, please don't go away. We will hear more from Randy on his analytical thinking uh, methodology, how that has shaped and, and refined his approach to business decision making and also perhaps if there is time some more about uh, nuclear physics uh, don't go anywhere uh, we'll be back soon when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. 
Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hi, I'm Laura Ellis, and I'm here with Randy Levitt, one of uh, TAB advisors, who is sharing with us his uh, experience and expertise in um, uh, in uh, nuclear industry and how he has come to develop a, a analytical approach to business decision making. And I was talking to Randy during the break, how, how fascinating um, what he was saying uh, was. I almost forgot that I am actually hosting the show. I completely fell into um, listening as if I was a listener, not the host. Uh, and, and it reminded me, um, not that I needed reminding, but it, it re- Enforce the reason why um, I invited Randy to be a, a TAP uh, advisor. Um, it also reminded me why I have asked Randy to help me with my finances for the business because obviously he is more than comfortable uh, with numbers and and why I value so much his um, his. Uh, problem-solving uh, capabilities uh, because he always brings this very plan, structured approach to, um, you know, unwrapping a problem and really identifying if the problem uh, we solve, it's, uh, it's the real one, which is what Rand and I do at the moment. We are collaborating with a, uh, with a client of TAB to, uh, to do that. So you're describing, Randy, uh, a lot of the reasons why, um, you know, mathematics and nuclear physics has um, allowed you um, to somewhat eliminate guessing and, and intuition from how you make decisions. Um, but you must have fallen back to natural instinct at different points in your career. Can you tell us about times when you perhaps made a mistake and what you learned from it? <laughs> oh, uh, yes, uh... We, despite the the story I just told you about the analytical approach to decision making, I, I I am sorry to say that I've made many mistakes, uh, uh, more so at the at the early stages of of, of my career. I I think uh, probably some of the the biggest lessons I've learned had to do with the the, the simplest of all managerial tasks, the the selection of staff. Uh, just despite all this analytical training I, I told you about in in my early days I I found myself selecting staff for for key positions uh, more on subjective factors like what the resume looked like and how they dressed and how they conducted themselves in an interview and how much they they valued the the job they were were applying for these are all important factors of course but I Proved to myself a few times that I could be unduly influenced by by subjective factors like this, and 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 end up with someone that that couldn't do the job that I that I was recruiting for. Yeah, 
Of course, that's thanks for sharing that because you know you're absolutely right. I mean, you you uh, you are making here a very um, uh, strong point or a good point about decision making. Um, your expertise in in um, nuclear physics, in finance, uh, in spite of its depth, um, it wouldn't necessarily cover uh, things like this, which people in management would need to be proficient at in, in order to make the right decision, as, as you said. And it, and it reminds me that uh, of the fact, I mean, it reminds me again why I created TAP, because s- recruitment and selection is actually uh, a behavioral science in and of itself. And it's something that I studied for a long number of years. So it would be unfair, um, and which is typically happens, of, of leaders to ask them to uh, be intuitively um, uh, proficient at something that they haven't perhaps experienced or, or be, been taught, because it is another science uh, in and of itself. So um, that is another thing that in my interaction with clients I can, I can bring, because, you know, you can't replace... Um, education and, and training and, and expertise in, in particularly that field uh, with just uh, intuitive feel for the person. So tell me, what did you learn and how did you change your approach? Uh, I'm sure that you've made the most of every single uh, mistake you've, uh, you, you've come across in your career. Well, I, I standardized my, uh, my approach to recruiting and including a few a few mandatory elements. Uh, for one, I, I learned to, to to always use more than one interview one, on an interviewer. Sometimes up to three interviewers to try and ensure uh, uh, a, a, a range of uh, evaluators and a, and a diversity of opinion uh, on the uh, on the selection we were we were going to make. But uh, but secondly, uh, before the interview, we would we would establish a a, a series of questions more technical in nature than the typical tell-me-about-yourself uh, uh, style of question. And, and we would also sketch out what, what we felt were the ideal answers to these, these questions as well, so, so that the interview became uh, more of a, a logging of, of how many of these critical points the candidate got right, a, a very systematic approach to, uh, to uh, conducting the, the interview. And that... Then thirdly, that, that same level of specificity could, could be included quite often in the reference checks we did so that we were, we were asking uh, meaningful questions of the, uh, of the uh, references. And uh, I would say that another, another main lesson for me was I, if I did make a mistake or a less than optimum selection, and I started to see this in the work of the individual, I learned to identify and, and correct this sooner rather than later. Uh, too, ma- too many problems uh, have resulted from the selection of a, a less than optimum candidate, followed by failed attempts to, to correct deficiencies for, for several months or years while the business suffered. And I, I learned to admit my mistakes early and correct them with reassignment of the individual and, and reselection. 
Yeah, that's amazing. There's so much richness in what you've just said. And I'm going to take just a couple of minutes for our listeners just to re-emphasize some of the points uh, you made. Because in my experience, uh, Randy, one of the things that is almost always, almost always left left out in selection uh, um, engagements, um, the interviewer or the organization, the hiring organization does not prepare uh, for the expected answers. We ask the questions. It's very easy to, to create a sense of this is a structured interview. This is talking about the job. But we rarely or, or the interviewer rarely prepares for what is a good answer to this question? What is an average answer? And what is a poor answer? So, so in upon reflection, we can actually compare all the candidates to um, to the answers that we were seeking rather than one another. That's another common mistake that people uh, make in, in uh, selection uh, exercises. They compare candidates um, across themselves or against one another as opposed to comparing it to what the ideal role uh, will entail. So those were very, very, uh, very valuable points for, for people uh, to remember. Um, it also makes it a lot easier when you have more than one interviewer for them to show how they evaluated the answers against um, against something uh, that was established before. So to generalizing what I find in, uh, in my experience, and it sounds like you actually... Um, through your very analytical approach, we're able to go back and uh, analyze and and do better with it. A lot of the time, um, the interviewer spends the least time in preparing for the interview, uh, i.e. identifying the right questions, identifying the answers, identifying good, average, and and poor answers. So thank you very much uh, uh, for that. The other thing that you also mentioned, you know, even when scientific approach to selection is applied, and, and you and I have gone through, um, in your former organization, through an exercise that is called an assessment center, which is a very intense, um, uh, very intense day for the participant. And it's sometimes used in selection. Um, even in those situations, one can only prescribe 70% uh, of the time, uh, the likelihood of people of the person hired to be successful in the role, and the reason for that is that um, there are other elements outside of the candidate's control, like the market, the boss, the peers, the everything that that an assessment pre-hiring assessment cannot anticipate. Um, so it just shows that no matter how ideal the candidate was for the role. Um, recognizing what are the elements that are going to allow this person to succeed once in the role, as well as what are the elements that are going to cause this person to perhaps fail in the role. Uh, and doing that early, it's very important. So thank you for making those uh, um, those points. Excellent points. Um, so let me go to the opposite question, Randy. You, you told us about situations where you... Um, perhaps felt you made mistakes in the beginning and then you you acted on them and, and did it uh, better. Can you give us an example of where starting off the decision-making with an analytical approach led you to favorable results? Uh, sure. Um, I guess one, one example is in the, uh, in the nuclear business. I, I developed and implemented a very systematic approach to 
do business planning, which basically evolved out of out of necessity. Um, for years, the the business planning approach had been focused around identifying the uh, the failings or or areas for improvement of the of the previous year, and then evaluating the resourcing and the initiatives in that area uh, for improvement. As leaders would bring their issues and their solutions to the, to the business planning table, and inevitably we would end up with many new ideas on the table, often very good ideas, but also accompanied by a request for additional resource and, and cost in, in the next year's business plan to, to improve the performance areas. And what uh, what tended to happen, this, this, this often resulted in a ratcheting effect on cost year after year that, that the business could not afford. So to get control of this, I, I implemented a, a top-down business planning approach, as I called it, with, uh, with a few distinct steps in it. That's great. And I remember you mentioning that when we met quite a few years ago. Um, tell us more about how did, it, how did this top-down approach work? Well, first we, we sought to identify performance measures in, in, in all areas of the business that, that were a, a good measure of the health of the business in a particular area. Perhaps it was safety performance, perhaps it was productivity or rework or staff numbers, but uh, we, we needed a, a set of performance measures that were good to us and also were used by other companies in the, in the same business of nuclear power production. So that then with a good set of measures, we, we were able to, to go to, to the other companies and, and compare our performance measure by measure with, with industry standards. Now, as you might expect, we were better than industry in average in, in, in some areas and, and worse than average in, in other areas. But the, the, the process of comparison allowed us to, to identify the gaps in performance in a more uh, way than, than had been used before. And then, then with good knowledge of where, where the gaps truly were, we, we set top-down targets for, for performance based on, on not, not so much how, how we saw our, uh, our failings, but, but based on, on industry performance. And then we focused on, on these areas of improvement without, without requiring additional funding or, or staff numbers, et cetera. So with this, with this kind of focus, we, we ended up improving performance and, and reducing costs at the, at the same time through a, through a more analytical approach to, to what it was we were laying out in the plan. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, what I love about my field and, and you know, both industrial psychology or, or management, science, whatever you want to call it, uh, although they're not identical, it's the fact that you sometimes have a framework that tends to work across all the situations. So it, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking what you've described, it's exactly the approach of 
choosing, um, selecting the right candidate for a role. You kind of compare to a standard, you compare the candidate to the good or bad answers, and then you try to select the right one. But then as you hire the person, you also try to bring them, um, you know, at the same level with uh, those who are best across all the all the measurements so i love when i find those um you know parallels in in complete different uh, areas of of the business so we're kind of coming close to three minutes to our next break so we may not have uh, a lot of time to answer the question but just in few words and we'll pick it up after the break have you been able to use a systematic approach like this in other areas of your work it's obviously fascinating to um to hear you say more well about that. uh in with black and mcdonald we we have used a, a similar approach uh, to develop our nuclear proficiency uh, black and mcdonald is an excellent and and, and well respected company who's known for their expertise in, in electrical and, and mechanical construction and maintenance across Canada. But a few years ago, the company made the decision to get into the nuclear business, which, which suits the, the power generating companies because they have peaking resources that, that rise and fall with reactor outages and new projects, and they prefer to rely on contractors, contractors for some of this, this work. But the work environment in nuclear and the hazards that one can encounter and the, the expectations for procedural compliance and, and the risk to other systems uh, from, from ongoing work can be, can be much more significant than for, than for conventional construction and maintenance work. Um, so to adequately prepare our management and supervision, we, uh, we again, took, again took an analytical approach and identified the gaps and, and opportunities for improvement in all areas, such as training, safety culture, internal procedures, accountabilities, and we laid out a plan that included several hundred distinct actions to improve ourselves to the standards we had set for ourselves. And uh, this, this uh, was well-received and well-executed by the organization. And it helped us to bring us to a new standard for the nuclear work that we wanted to be a part of. This is amazing. Do, do you think they ever let you go, Randy, with, with all the amazing insights and, and all the high-level um, education that you're bringing to them in terms of how to approach their everyday work, how to manage uh, their, uh, their business? We can probably talk a bit more, uh, but we're just one minute away from the break. So uh, we'll go away for a couple of minutes, uh, but don't go away because Randy and I will be back after the break and talk to you uh, more about uh, decision-making in business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. 
Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hi, I'm Laura Ellis, and I'm here with Randy Levitt, one of the advisors of the Trusted Advisory Board. And uh, before the break, we're listening to uh, some fascinating stories, at least for me. I hope they're equally fascinating uh, to you about um, uh, procedures. Uh, how does business look? What's important to to organizations who operate in the in the nuclear power generation space? And uh, how Randy is today helping. Um, uh, other organizations um, to actually uh, become proficient of how they um, how they do everyday business as well as how they plan business uh, longer term. So, uh, Randy, what about the big decisions you have been involved in? How have you ensured that all the information is used? That all uncertainties are dealt with in making major decisions. And of course, when we say all uncertainties, the, the one at least that, that are most obvious or, or most easy to identify. Well, I've, I've used uh, several methods, but, uh, but all of them in, involve some element of, of peer challenge and, and making use of of the the intelligence elsewhere in the company that that was not directly involved in the in the decision about to be made, um, for example, before the the launch of a major project or a or a major reactor outage campaign, we we encourage the execution of a readiness challenge meeting, some, sometimes referred to as a as a black hat meeting. Uh, uh, essentially, a, a small black hat team is assembled of, of, of knowledgeable experts in the, uh, on the on the work at hand, but who have had nothing to do with the the project preparation and and can therefore offer independent review and and, and challenge. It, it's uh, it's done in a professional setting, of course, but the the black hat review team is is introduced as the as the group that does not feel we are ready to proceed with this initiative. And the, the role of the, the other meeting participants is to convince the, the Black Hat team that, indeed, the, the business is ready to proceed and the overall decision is the best one for the business. Analysis, plans, risks, contingencies are all presented and, and, and challenged to, to resolution. It's uh, it, it, it works. It is rare to come out of one of these meetings without a few areas to improve and 
and polish up. And, and sometimes a, a follow-up meeting is, is required to, to address the identified inadequacies. But by the end of the process, you can be confident that you've done the best job to, to prepare and challenge and redefine the, uh, the issues associated with the, the decision to be made. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Randy, to your, to your knowledge, uh, do you remember if other than the black hat meeting, were there any other color hats? And, and there's a reason I'm asking that, but you may have just used a black hat. Uh, did you have other meetings that were under different colors uh, meetings? Uh, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the, uh, the thinking hats uh, yeah. uh, strategy that you mentioned. In in our business, it was we took advantage primarily of the uh, of the challenge process in in uh, in making sure we had all of the the bases covered. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And and uh, you know, I was trying to think. I, I did a quick search because uh, to to my shame, I had forgotten uh, the name of the developer. It's Edward De Bono who created the Six Thinking Hats, and I actually am certified or was certified at some point in it. But um, it, it's quite an interesting concept. And although um, it was created in 1985. Um, if you read through the six thinking hats methodology, you may find that the language is a bit old and it may feel a bit out of date. However, uh, to your point, um, the, the principles of the of the methodologies are still very valid. And what it does, if I may just add to uh, the black hat, what it does, all the other hats have a um, uh, a different purpose. And the reason De Bono created uh, uh, a different approach for every meeting or a different focus is because he felt that what typically happens in the meeting, people um, uh, jump in with different kind of ideas or solutions or or criticisms or feelings that in the end, um, in the end, uh, uh, create a lack of clarity and and a lot of the meetings end up with no real resolution so of the six hats the black hat the black hat is as you described brand is the one that brings up all the all the challenges and what would prevent this thing from working but there are five others in which the white hat for instance is just sharing the data so bring all the data about uh, uh, what we're dealing with no um, no uh, uh, evaluating of the data but just simple data the red hat is the uh, the one where people express their feelings so they have an opportunity to get their feelings out uh, their their emotions positive and negative about the project or the event um, in one go and then uh, there's you know it's all um, uh, transparent and known uh, the the green hat is the one where there are it's focused on opportunities and 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 um, innovative solutions where no solution is a bad solution and and it's quite interesting that the green thinking hat it's it's used a lot uh, as a methodology today or it you know was built on to be used for innovation exercises uh, and then there's the um, uh, the blue hat that has more of a long-term thinking and systemic approach. And I must admit, I can't remember what the yellow hat is, but for anyone who's interested to find out about this methodology, although an old methodology is still very, very valid. So thank you for bringing that uh, uh, 
um, up Randy. What general approach do you use for problem solving and decision making in your work through your own company that you've uh, formed, Deliberate Action? Well, it, it, it really depends on the issues at hand and and the reasons Deliberate Action was, was brought in to help, but our our focus is on problem identification, whether this is through gap analysis or senior management direction or uh, a significant business or, or safety event or, or some other means, and then causal analysis to, to determine a full understanding of the of the reasons for the the adverse performance, and then action formulation and prioritization to get the the right changes moving in in the organization, and and then finally effectiveness review when when you're finished to to determine if the efforts were were fully successful. You mentioned causal analysis. Can you say a bit more on this? Uh, sure. Um, in the, in the last few years, a, a lot of progress has, has been made in the area of, of causal analysis, which which basically is determining the the whys for for undesirable events or areas of adverse performance. Answers to the question why. One technique was originally developed by Sakichi Toyoto and was was used within the Toyota Motor uh, Corporation during the the evolution of its its manufacturing methodologies. This this technique was called the five whys, which which sought to determine the root cause of a defect or a problem by by repeating the question why, as as more information was learned about the about the problem. Uh, now there are there are many other methods today, ranging from the use of logic trees and symptomatic assessments to the use of complex lists of causal factors and event precursors, but, but basically the, the principle is the same. And, and that, that principle is that if we, if we really want to prevent the, the recurrence of undesirable events or, or poor performance, we, we must address more of the symptoms. We, we must determine the true underlying causes of the, of the performance deficiencies and, and go after those. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And, and it's like, it's one of the reasons, and I'm not sh- sure how many people are aware, it's one of the reasons why there is so much uh, uh, statistical analysis or why statistics is a very important part of, um, of psychology uh, and why it is a behavioral science, not just, uh, um, you know, something loose and fluffy, as many people think. So because the, the purpose of uh, using statistics is most of the time, so you determine through the use of statistical methods uh, the causal, um, the causes, the underlying causes of certain uh, behaviors, uh, especially industrial psychology behaviors uh, inside uh, the organization. And what we find uh, again is that. Even when a causal analysis is is conducted, a lot of the times is also um, uh, it's only conducted when things for gaps, um, not so often for identifying what are the causes of of superior performance, uh, which is equally just as uh, beneficial 
to be known uh, because it allows more deliberate um, replication of behavior rather than guesses. So that's that's very interesting. And, and you made it sound very straightforward. What did you find in your experience? Does it work? Well, it, um, it usually works, um, but... You know, we're we're battling human instinct again. Um, I'm, we're all human, and I'm 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 always amazed at how many people are are so willing to offer an opinion on what needs to be fixed after an undesirable event or after a period of poor performance without without ever getting too deep into the question why did this happen? We you know we're we're, we're all tempted to get to the answer, and our our intuitive thinking takes over to suggest solutions that may only deal with the current issue and have nothing to do with preventing occurrence of, of similar issues in the, in the future. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if, you, um, if our listeners have um, uh, listened to the first show when I was talking about uh, uh, decision-making and how our brains are wired, that um, Daniel Kahneman suggested that uh, the way we think uh, is also, uh, it's almost performed by two different systems. The system one, that it's uh, almost uh, intuitive and jumps into uh, problem solving, and uh, the system two, which takes longer to think. So what you're describing there, it's exactly our tendency and our wiring of, of uh, bringing system one to problems before actually going and analyzing. So believe it or not, uh, Randy, we only have four minutes to the close, and this has been a fascinating conversation. But I I don't want us to end today without um, hearing from you some of the uh, takeaways that you would like to leave for our listeners to help them make better choices. Because this is, you know, whatever we call what we, what you do or have done, it is really solving uh, very, very complex problems. Uh, so what would be some of the takeaways you would like to leave for people uh, to help them make better business decisions? Well, I, I would emphasize, uh, first, uh, know what you're trying to fix, uh, both in terms of the symptoms, but also the causes that you're after. Um, so maybe, uh, know, know what success looks like. If you have to look at, look at others to, to determine that, but know what success looks like. And for big problems or opportunities, advertise where you want to be to your your whole organization, and and let everyone know what uh, where you where you want to be. Uh, thirdly, I, I would say uh, get as many people involved in in the improvement initiatives as you can, whether whether through brainstorming and and ideas for improvement or small actions that that folks can take to contribute to the overall goal or or major initiatives. Uh, to 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 achieve the goal, and then finally, I would say be prepared to recalibrate or or redirect initiative or or even cancel it if the if the desired results are are not being achieved. Thank you, Randy. That that's amazing. Thank you for an amazingly rich uh, um, episode. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we have one minute. I hope you enjoyed it too. Did you enjoy it? It's fabulous, Laura. 
It is. And, and you know what? I'm sure that I'll receive emails saying that people will want you more. So just before we end, uh, let us know if you have any specific questions. You can email me at lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. And uh, until uh, next Monday, when we'll be back at 9 a.m. Eastern with another guest, uh, secret at the moment because my advisors are very busy and I don't know whom I'm going to be able to get. Um, Have a great week and and listen to our shows and uh, just keep uh, getting better at making uh, your business decisions. Goodbye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.